The idea of a variable font is to take the whole range of that design space and combine it in a single file, which then allows it to act like many. Teaching designers to think about all of those ways to vary stuff in their interface animations, in headings and display sizes and captions. And I think we're really at the very beginning of what can be done. I think motion is a place where they'll really excel. What is up, typography enthusiasts? I'm Oliver Schöndorf, a user interface designer and typographer, welcoming you to another talk at Pimp My Type. Variable fonts are nothing new anymore. Since Google is pushing them hard since a few years and all the major design tools adopted them, they kind of become the new standard. And there are a lot of benefits when it comes to file size, possible benefits, but they really don't excite me that much. It's the creative possibilities they bring that are interesting to me, but nevertheless, I don't see them used very often in an interesting way. And this is why I invited Jason Parmentel today as my guest to share his immense knowledge about the topic of variable fonts. I see him as someone who is working at the intersection of technology and design. Because technology and aesthetics always go hand in hand. You can't design something interesting or good without knowing what's possible. So you need this to unlock creative potential. It was a great conversation. We cover what's the difference with typography for screen design, but also what effects bad typography has on people. It slows people down. It makes it harder for them to trust a website or to get the information they need um, to make a purchasing decision. We also nerd out a lot about performance and loading fonts. Jason also shares very practical tips that you can apply to make your site faster and look better. The mileage that you get out of loading a font resource impacts the display of every word on every page. And at the end of our talk, we even touch on the future with progressive font loading, which will bring a lot of benefits, especially to non-Latin scripts. So the future's right ahead. All that closing with a brilliant answer to my very, very mean question, Papyrus or Comic Sans? Yeah, stay for that. Note that there are chapter marks so you can jump to the timestamps that interest you the most. This is how I appreciate your valuable attention. Of course, you're welcome, you're welcome. Find all the mentioned fonts, resources and links under pimpmytype.com slash talk zero three where you can also subscribe to my weekly Font Friday newsletter to get a nice update each week for a nice typeface. But now let's enjoy variable font design possibilities and performance with Jason Parmentel. I'm very excited and honored to have you as a guest, Jason Parmental. And for introducing Jason, he's a principal designer at Chewy.com, tinkerer and typographer, as he describes himself. And for a more, let's say, personal uh, relationship I have with him, it's the first time we meet in person here, <laughs> virtually, Jason, but um, I know you since years from Twitter and also from your newsletter, your typography newsletter, you, you 
sent over and my first touch point with you was I think back in 2018 when I started with um, variable fonts and wrapping my head around this topic and you were one of the first persons talking about this and how to implement it and also the typographic advantages that come with it. So welcome to Pimp My Type, Jason. Well, thank you very much, Oliver. It's really great to be here. And, um, and you know, from, from my perspective, I remember first hearing your name when uh, I'm trying to remember what event it was where um, you were giving a talk on variable fonts. And I was just so excited because I think you were like one of, you know, maybe only three or four other people talking about variable fonts at events. I don't remember if it was beyond Telerand or, or some other event, probably in that time frame around 2018 or so. Um, but, you know, Mandy Michael was talking about stuff at, at conferences and, and I was and, and really almost nobody else. And so it was it, the, your name really jumped out. And, and so then I don't know when we like sort of connected over Twitter after that, but it's just been nice to see it start to spread. And, um, and I'm excited to be, to be on your show and, and, uh, be more a part of what you're doing to spread the word about good typography. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Thank you. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome to hear. Yeah, I guess it was beyond Telerand back then in, uh, in Berlin in, in October 2018, where I also had the pleasure to meet uh, David Jonathan Ross in person, who might be, I think, geographically, not just typographically, because you're using his typeface on your website, <laughs> close to your location in Massachusetts. Yep. Is that right? Yeah, it is. Um, so uh, yes, it's um, not uh, not too quick a drive. It's about uh, two and a half, three hours away. Um, but okay. you know, it's it's not a plane ride. Um, so yeah. it you know geographically, it's you know a couple hundred miles. So um, I've been out to his house for a little type weekend get together that uh, that he had a couple of years ago, and um, he and I have been. Uh, been friends really since the introduction of variable fonts when I, I met him for the first time, yeah. um, I think in in Warsaw um, at A Type I oh, when really? uh, when variable fonts were introduced. Oh, that's awesome! Basically, you're so close, and then you have to meet up in Poland. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> yeah, but that's what these events are for. So um, yeah. To, to get this thing started, I would love to ask you my first question, which is always my first question. What's your favorite typographic mistake, Jason? I have not really given this a ton of thought, but I'm going to come back to my favorite mistake being not loading the fonts right in the first place. Oh, that's a because good one. Like, it is like the oldest problem in, you know, in using web fonts. And, um, and it's one that has honestly has been solvable since 2010. And, and still it is like, whenever I show it in a talk, um, it seems like it's brand new to people. So I'm not being very effective in saying the word about this apparently, but, um, but loading, using a web font loader um, and, uh, and, and using the class that it adds to the page to add CSS to style the fallback fonts. So that's that's the thing that I see go wrong most frequently. And it drives me up a wall because it's it's definitely a very solvable problem. Uh, but I see it all the time when you want your content on the screen, um, but uh, this happens actually in the New York Times website and on their apps, which kills me that it happens in oh, their apps. No. 
Um, when the fallback font loads, you know, while the web font is loading, the metrics of the text is often quite different. So you get headlines wrapping differently and navigation moving around and stuff. And then all of a sudden the web font loads and it you know snaps back into place. And that was the original thing that people hated about web fonts and they called it fout or flash of unstyled text. Mm -hmm. And um, and then it moved to invisible text because Safari started hiding the text until the, the web font loaded um, without any timeout initially. And then all the browsers kind of standardized on three seconds, but but still, you know, if you look at the, everybody loves to to quote this research from Google about, um, you know, if you don't have your content on screen in less than three seconds or five seconds or whatever it was, um, you've lost half your audience. And if this, you know, if the browser isn't showing any content for three seconds waiting for a web font to load, that's a pretty big gamble. So people switch over to using font display swaps so that it, it goes directly to the, the fallback font. But if they haven't styled the fallback font, then they get that same problem. So um, favorite is maybe not the best word, but, but it's Most certainly the one. I think I, clearly I have some opinions about this. And, and it's just yeah. one of those things that it is that intersection of that art and technology of typography, user experience, and the technology of implementing them that yeah. um, I think is like, that defines what I think is so interesting about web typography as a whole. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, flash of unstyled text. I had this, um, I'm, all, I'm always a fan of seeing at least some text on the page, even mm -hmm. if it's not set properly, as you said before, but they should then add the loading classes or something. And um, I, I'll add to this, um, when I was a guest on several podcasts, web design podcasts, and I gave them a quick uh, review of, of their site. In two cases, they haven't, they did not load the web fonts at all. So <laughs> which then was okay. It was the fallback font all the uh, all way long, and <laughs> the problem there was they didn't see it because they had it locally installed. And <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't see it, so yeah, that's that's a hard one. So loading your web fonts at all and properly, <laughs> this might be the basic, yep. yeah, yeah, step to have a decent web yep. typography. Yeah, sure. <laughs> all right. It's, yes, they've got to show up in the first place before you can do anything interesting with them. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> so um, when we come, what 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 fascinates you a lot is basically um, the concept of web typography. Uh, you wrote a book about that back then, um, about responsive web typography, which might be a bit dated for now, but the principles of typography don't change over time, so or didn't change a lot over time, so since the last 500 years or so. But what would you say, what benefits does it bring to learn about typography for developers, designers, for anybody. Why do you think is this such an important topic? Um, I, you know, because it, for, for most of us who work on the web, the bulk of what we're dealing with is putting text on screen. And, and so with that, um, if you don't put the text up in a clear, readable, engaging, accessible way, then you're missing out. Uh, your, your, your reader is missing out. The, the visitor to your website isn't getting what, what you want them to get out of it. And so um, there's so many things about, um, about the implementation of that 
where you can see like if you've studied typography at all and you look at the modern web and you see these challenges that crop up all over the place um, because it's not routine for developers or ux designers for that matter to take a course in typography so you see tons of centered text everywhere which is harder to read for people when it's you know more than a line or two you see really long lines of text that are really hard to follow as they get across um, you see text set in too light a color on a light background or um, too small for people to be able to read well or not resizable so like there's all of these um, nuances about like what like how reading works like and and that's really you know uh, that's a, a big part of this is you know how do we see letters and words and phrases how does our vision work um, how does it age? Uh, you know, what's the difference in setting type for a young person versus someone my age? You know, what are the things that are, are going to be different about that? And how can we accommodate that? And I, I think that's like a really interesting area to me is that you've got the classical principles of typography, which um, are, uh, were, were considered in a somewhat immutable way, meaning um, you're applying these rules to this piece of design that you're working on or this typesetting at this size on this piece of paper with this ink, with this typeface. And, and that, is, um, that is all somewhat fixed. And we don't even know what the paper size is gonna be. You know, for us, like when we're designing something for a screen. And, and so there's an aspect of typography that is totally um, uh, grounded in the hundreds of years of history. And then there's an aspect of it that is completely unique the way we have to address it, particularly, uh, you know, in the last 10, 15 years since the advent of, of mobile devices that, you know, were really capable of, of showing things, you know, since the iPhone and Android came yeah. along. Yeah. Um, and and so with that, with when people don't have any grounding in that, then they make choices based on different criteria. And uh, so you, see, you know, in the advent of the sort of um, no 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 disrespect to the creators of Bootstrap, but in the Bootstrap era of you know this sort of component kind of design ideas, um, you see the centered text everywhere because. It might be one column. It might be four, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, of these little little card elements. And to uh, the designer's eye or, or the developer's eye, there's a symmetry that's you know that's being looked for there. So they just center everything. And um, I don't. I think there are just better ways to to handle that. Um, but if you don't, absent an understanding that it's harder for someone to read when their eye can't go back to a consistent place on the next line, mm. you know, that, that left justified or leading edge justified based on, on script, um, then it's just, it slows people down. And, and so it makes it harder for them to trust a website or to get the information they need um, to make a purchasing decision. Yeah, sure. All right. So um, definitely, uh, uh, it brings a big advantage to to people then learning about these basics of typography. And what also uh, comes quite interesting to me is that you're. It feels to me that you're always on this intersection, as you always, uh, as you mentioned, between design and development. So um, also bringing it into reality, not just. Yeah. 
thinking it up and uh, polishing it in a design tool, but also how it can be applied in the real world, uh, aka the browser then. And um, where we would arrive with, at variable fonts, which are the state of the art of mm -hmm. web typography nowadays. And um, I assume most of, of my audience is familiar with variable fonts, but could you just in a nutshell, one, two sentence, explain what variable fonts yeah. are before we go more into the details there? Sure. Um, well, for anyone that has worked with fonts, either installing them locally on your computer or setting them up for use on the web, uh, you're probably familiar with the idea that every single weight and variant, regular, bold, italic, heavy, wide, narrow, whatever it is, um, is a single file. Yeah. And that's how it's been for a very, very long time, as long as there's been digital type. And uh, generally speaking, there's a couple exceptions, but um, the idea of a variable font is to take the whole range of that design space and combine it in a single file which then allows it to act like many. So I'm just kind of paraphrasing John mm. Hudson's description. It's one font file that acts as many. Mm. And for the web, that means through CSS, we get to make it bolder or lighter, wider or narrower, uh, upright or italic, whatever axes of variation the type designer has included. So that's another important thing to, to yeah. point out to people is there's nothing artificial about this. It's not the browser faking anything. It's whatever the weight range is that the typeface designer included, uh, whatever other axes of variation they've included, those are the things that we can change. So yeah. it doesn't uh, artificially alter the typeface. I guess that's the important thing too. Uh, yeah, we're, we're not going down the road to faux italic will or, exactly. <laughs> or, or right. to, in, into the hell right. of faux italic will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and faux bold. And yeah, we know font stretch, one of the properties isn't a, a proper name for it, but it does not stretch right. the font. It changes right. the width of the typeface. Yeah. All right. Okay. So um, with that in mind, I read your article on the web's almanac in 2020, I think it was, and time flies. I, I think it <laughs> did not change that much in 2021. Um, but what they pointed out there, or you pointed out there, was the increase of the usage of variable fonts compared to 2019, mm -hmm. where it was about 1.8% I read, and now, uh, or back in 2020, we were up to 11% almost of variable fonts. Um, why do you think, um, is it only or is it a lot? What do you think about this? What do you think about the current state of adoption of variable fonts in real projects? Because we almost always saw these variable fonts, fancy, nice transitions, animations on mm. conference sites, most of the time, <laughs> type foundry sites, of course, yeah, and, and other, let's say, artsy kind of sites, yeah, but not really in production use for a long time. So what do you think about this adoption right now? Uh, we talk about this a lot in various circles and podcasts and articles. <laughs> um, so what led to that massive jump from one year to the next and I, I, I saw the data, unfortunately, I, I was actually signed up to write the 2021 chapter for the Web Almanac. And we had a, a mix up, unfortunately, with getting all of the queries run in order to actually write something based on that data. Um, I know the value is a lot higher. 
Um, oh, right, yeah. the, so the reason that um, it jumped so much is, uh, is because of Google. And um, Google, okay. uh, a, a year or two earlier, started to experiment. And this is something that uh, a lot of people um, miss about variable fonts is that they are intended to work seamlessly with our existing CSS. So for example, uh, when you say bold um, as, a, as a font weight, that's a keyword for 700. It's an alias basically for a font yeah. weight of 700. So if you load a variable font and give it the same family name as what you would be using for, let's say, well, in this case, they were using Oswald. So that was the yeah. first one that they started doing this with. And uh, Oswald, Oswald normal maps to 400 for the weight axis. Oswald bold maps to 700. And if you just swap in the Oswald variable font and do nothing else, don't change anything in the CSS on the site itself, it's going to act exactly the same. And, mm -hmm. and that's really a remarkable proof of the technology that they were able to start serving this millions and millions and millions of times without the owners of those sites ever having to alter a line of their CSS. That's pretty awesome because they basically just changed the, um, the font face um, declaration yep. um, and included, and, I guess, in the font wake the range of whatever the type was right. provided. Yeah. And, and so, you know, we have to acknowledge that a, a variable font, a single variable font file is definitely going to be larger than a corresponding single sure. weight file. Yeah. But the engineers at Google are pretty brilliant when it comes to subsetting and, and, uh, and compression and everything. So what they were finding is that they could start to serve the variable font in place of two or three other weights and actually have a bandwidth savings. Yeah. So when you multiply that out over the, the millions of people who use variable fonts, it started to become pretty clear to them that they could have fewer assets to manage and use less bandwidth to serve these files. Okay. And with Google fonts, there's a lot of caching across sites. So when you get, when you visit one site with, with Oswald, and then you go to another site that's using Oswald, if they're both being served from Google CDN, your browser is going to cache that file and you're not going to load it on the next visit. Okay. So yeah. there's, um, there's a ton of advantages to that. And so they invested really heavily in having typeface designers improve the variable, uh, the fonts that they had and convert them to the top fonts that they were serving over to variable fonts. So over the course of the last year or two, they've done this to many of their top typefaces. Yeah. And so that has enabled them to start serving more and more of it. Now that addresses a technical, the technical side. And so the implementation uh, and usage has grown tremendously. I think that we still are in a time when um, there are not enough Olivers and Jasons and Mandys in the world going out at all of these web design conferences to educate the designers about what they can get out of this. Now, um, Sketch supports variable fonts. Um, I know it's in beta in some of the other web type tools, and uh, and you know it's in the Creative Suite tools from Adobe. Um, it, it works. It's not perfect, but you know at least it's it's sort of there. Um, yeah, that's part of what hurts it. Its adoption on the design side, but we need more people to talk about the benefits um, stylistically, aesthetically, and that, and yeah. that's so. 
so things um, like I use it, uh, I've used it in, you've used variable fonts in a number of pretty large projects um, for a sports broadcasting platform in the US. Uh, it's part of the Bleacher Report. I helped them convert that uh, over to variable mm. fonts. Um, that's millions and millions of views. Uh, and and we, we saved a ton of downloads. Um, we took over 300K of font weight out of what was being loaded every page by shifting everything to variable fonts. Okay. Um, uh, but it also in the web platforms for the state of Rhode Island and where I live and also yeah. Georgia, another uh, one in the, in the US, um, we used variable fonts and reduced file weight, but also in Rhode Island enabled typography uh, fine-tuned for dark mode. So yeah. Yeah. when you invert the contrast, wanting to reduce the font weight just a tiny bit, we yeah. can reduce it by 30 or 40 instead of a full step and load another yeah. asset because we yeah. are using variable fonts. Yeah, and and so that keeps the type really much clearer um, mm -hmm. when you reverse that light light text on a dark background, and um, and and so those are some of the things as designers we can think about fine tuning the weight of what bold means. Um, yeah. It doesn't have to be as as chunky as a seven hundred weight if we don't need it to be. Um, sure. Yeah. Yeah, that makes perfect sense and also is a perfect segue into another issue where um, or another topic with user interfaces. I strongly focus on user interfaces right now because I want to encourage people using different typefaces than the familiar ones, like everything's, they're not bad, Roboto is not bad, Inter is not bad, San Francisco is not bad, they're all okay, they are made to be okay and uh, I don't have anything against them, but it lacks personality. Mm -hmm. And I want to help people decide for another font for the user interfaces. And also, this is a big advantage, I think, when it comes to variable fonts, Roboto and Inter and all these typefaces are variable fonts, but when you pick a typeface for a user interface, what do you think, what are the advantages that could come except from fine-tuning it in dark mode and uh, with the contrast, what other advantages could there be for user interface design? So for very small sizes, short text that mm -hmm. have to be highly legible. So I, there's the first thing that comes to mind is actually something that I'm currently working through at Chewy. Um, which is personality. So, you know, the, the, the thing about Helvetica or San Francisco or Roboto or, you know, and on and on and on is they're designed to work everywhere. So they're intentionally designed in a fairly neutral way, um, meaning that they don't have any or, or a lot of sort of visible quirks uh, or, or things that impart any kind of an emotional tone. They're very purposely designed to not do that so that mm. they can be used in any environment and and they in a sense will just sort of disappear um but I, you know at, at chewy uh, so for for those um outside the us and who don't own pets um chewy is a company that sells a massive amount I mean, billions and billions of dollars of uh pet foods medications toys okay costumes you name it um, or all great. kinds of uh, you, the, the Halloween shop is is pretty is pretty entertaining um, for dogs, cats, and and many other kinds of uh, pets. And they have all kinds of health services for veterinary practices and 
Um, uh, it's one of the largest pet pharmacies in the world. So like there's all kinds of interesting things going on. They're famous for their customer support and the warmth and friendliness that you experience mm -hmm. if you ever need to contact them. Mm -hmm. And um, and if you look across um, the, the landscape right now, um, primarily you see um, on Chewy apps and websites, a mix of Roboto, um, San Francisco, uh, shifting towards Poppins and Work Sans, but okay. none of those Whoa. are our brand. Yeah, I know it's it's like the list <laughs> of like the most popular, you know, uh, any tech company kind of typefaces. And this is uh, they were chosen for reasonable reasons. Sure, but our but our brand typeface is Gordita by Type Atelier in Brisbane, mm -hmm. Australia, and mm -hmm. it's a it's a really nice, uh, much warmer. Sans, sort of a humanist geometric kind of yeah. blend, and uh, and it really has that warmth and character that is much closer to our brand identity, and so that's one of the things that I'm working on right now is is getting the licensing in place and and getting the cooperation so that we can start to work that into our design system and you know eventually work mm -hmm. that through. Um, website apps and everything else. It's, it's very much a work in progress, but, um, but so, so there's personality. That's, that's yeah. a big thing. Um, yeah. Where, uh, where variable fonts, I think can really add to our, um, our efforts in interface design is also with an axis that we haven't talked about yet called optical size. Mm. Optical size is an axis. It's an idea that actually goes back hundreds of years um, I have I have a, a, a graphic of an example of a, a type specimen from the 1700s from William Caslin showing the differences um, in how the letter forms were cut at six point size versus 72 point size. And you see the smaller one has less contrast in the stroke. So it's a little sturdier. So meaning it's going to be more legible at smaller sizes. And then at larger sizes, you can get a little bit more contrast, a little more thick and thin, a little more fine detail because the, the, the letter forms are large enough to really see it. And that's, uh, that is, in, in essence, that is optical size. And we, uh, that is actually one of the five standard axes uh, sort of set out in the, in the variable font uh, format when it was introduced. And there are a bunch of typefaces that do support it. Um, actually, Roslindale on my website is a good example yeah. of that. When you look at the headings on my site, um, it's rwt.io, if anyone's curious, um, the headings, you see uh, a real exaggerated thick and thin. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful typeface when it's set large for display purposes, but it is exactly the same file that is displaying the text as well. So when you look at the body copy, it looks much more like what you'd see in a newspaper, for example, with much less contrast, and it's a little bit sturdier and easier to read at small sizes. So it's more subtle in sans serif typefaces, but it can mm. be really effective. Um, I have also I've seen um, some people tie um, not just the stroke contrast in letter forms to size, but also things like apertures, the openings in the letters, or the terminals, like that where yep. uh, the ends of those strokes all getting more open at a smaller size. So it helps maintain that legibility. And I think those are some of the key areas where a uh, variable font could really add to 
uh, yeah. the legibility and utility of a typeface for for interface use yeah that's a that's a good one that's a great point um one that comes into my mind is case i think it's by eric spiegelman as well but and, and another designer sorry for not coming up with the name but spiegelman i remembered of course um, um from fontwerk where they also have an optical sizing axis and they even change the shapes, as you said, from the apertures and also from the terminals, like the lowercase l gets a serif in the smallest size. Mm -hmm. So you can distinguish it more easily from an uppercase i, for example, if it's a sans serif. So this is very beneficial and as well when it comes to spacing, of course, everything mm -hmm. is a bit more spaced out. You don't have to increase the letter spacing manually. What you should in most typefaces because they're made for most or depending on typeface when they are made for um, body text sizes mm -hmm. where you have to increase them then when they're smaller sizes yeah this is a great advantage also i love this one about personality because this is also so near and dear to my heart to make the world of typography a bit more diverse more interesting and this is the one quote that i stole from you or i quote you actually on it this type is never neutral i i love this i just love this like example with the I love you note you gave at the one talk in uh, I think it was the 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 um, what was it the maybe the in event apart or something like this uh, where yeah. I saw it uh, a recording of that and yeah it's yeah it's so clear it's absolutely right it's never neutral of course it's not because even if they say um, I talked to Jose Scalione from type together uh, last week and he also says people think neutrality is a good thing or something to achieve even though it's not neutral it always communicates yeah. something um, but it, yeah that's the thing and also very interesting that you found a place to work that also might be <laughs> more exciting for your dogs Tristan and Tilly <laughs> compared to the stuff you did before whatever yes. whatever you're doing now yeah. but I think you're getting something chewy for them <laughs> yeah Yes, uh, very true. Um, yeah, I can't really think of a more on-brand place for me to be than working for a, a doing doing font-related design system work for a, a company that caters to Tilly right there. Yeah, there yeah. she is. I can get yeah. a better look. Saw her. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's like a dream coming true. I I, I guess. <laughs> Um, you know, I have to say it really, I, I've, I've thought about this an awful lot. It, it is for, for many reasons. I mean, the, the, you know, the all jokes aside, um, the job, my job as a principal designer is, um, is as much as it is around uh, sort of shaping the future of our design system and, and what we think we want it to be, you know, this year, two years from now, five years from now. Um, but it's, you know, spending time working with the engineering teams about how we implement stuff and working with our, our CMS team around what is the vision that we have for um, how we author content, because authoring content and modeling it is intimately tied to how you display it. And, and so, you know, spending time with that team, working with the branding team around how we can bring that that personality and voice into our digital presence as much, you know, as well as they have it integrated in our advertising and marketing. So I get to kind of work with everybody. I love it. Yeah. It's really, yeah. uh, it, it just makes every day, like as soon as I'm done with this, I'm going back into a design sprint that I've been running uh, with the CMS team on our technology platform. 
and uh, you know, so it's it's different stuff every day, and I really, I really uh, have been having a great time. I've only been here for four months, but yeah, um, it's just an amazing team of people to work yeah. with. Yeah, sounds sounds great. Sounds very exciting. Yeah, um, coming back to variable fonts, though, um, mm -hmm. what do you think when you um, besides the fact that people are not familiar with the superpowers and as you described obligatizing one of the things that I'm super excited about as well using it as well on my side with Piazzolla uh, that has an optical sizing axis um, what do you think are some obstacles people still face when it comes to implementing or in yeah or, or wrapping their heads around variable yeah. fonts well I, I think I, I it is just what you described, wrapping your heads around the possibility. Um, because, you know, the implementation is getting easier. Um, browsers are, are have been pretty thorough in their implementation of it. I mm. mean, there's still a couple of quirks here and there, but generally speaking, you can, uh, everything works pretty easily um, and, and works very reliably from one, one place to the next. I mean, when, when I've seen any issues, uh, sometimes people will reach out and, and I'm always happy that they do and say, hey, we're trying to work with variable fonts and this thing is happening. And mm. usually I know what it is as soon as, I, as they describe the problem, like, well, check your font face declaration or check whatever, like yeah. there's, there's nothing wrong with the font. I'm sure of that. It's just, let's take a look at the CSS and see what you're doing. And, um, and wanting to make sure that um, that piece is handled then it's really about designers um, thinking more creatively with uh, with what they have. You know, designing with a single typeface as a, that's been a challenge that people have faced for a very long time. Um, what we have um, with a variable font is way more than just um, working with different weights of it. I mean, so you know, one of the earliest ones that I got a chance to work with from um, uh, from CJ Dunbar was Dunbar, mm. um, yeah. which has a variable axis for the ascenders and descenders and, uh, you know, an, an X height. And, um, and so you can make it look really modern or really mm. art deco. Uh, you know, there's all these different ways that you can work with it that really alters the personality of the type while you're working with it and, and teaching, teaching designers to think about um, all of those ways to vary stuff um, in their interface animations in headings and display sizes and captions and um, you know really leaning hard into uh, there was one uh, Pangea from uh, Christoph Koberlin was one that had an access yeah. to change the terminals and the apertures yeah. and um, stuff that underwear does to basically give you an access of time that would almost like let things draw in. They're, they're fascinating. And I, I think we're really at the very beginning of what, uh, what can be done. I think motion is a place where they'll really excel. Uh, Studio mm. Dunbar and, and others did this incredible, um, basically it was like an animated poster festival in the train station in Rotterdam mm -hmm. a few years mm -hmm. ago. And so imagine all these digital displays with all these like, post typographic posters that were all animated variable fonts yeah. so it's not even a web page it's actually using it in motion graphics and um and uh, and motion design that yeah. was just um it's incredible what we could do to um to draw people's eye and help you read a message 
yeah, by emphasizing yeah. things over time. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great that's a great addition. Yeah, sure. When it comes to file size, though, I'm currently in the situation of um, yeah. I didn't dig a lot into this issue and I know there's Zach Leatherman who's a genius about this as well. Um, maybe I should invite him as well. And you should, he's great. Yeah, and, 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 and um, I, I, I even met him in person at Beyond Tellerrand some years ago and this was also great to chat with him. But um, right now when I, I'm loading Piazzolla, the, the variable font, and it has around 250 kilobytes even at WAF2. Mm -hmm. So the character set is pretty extended. Um, mm -hmm. th that's the one thing. So I should remove some yeah, character support, I guess, that I'm not using on my blogs to make it a mm -hmm. bit um, smaller. And the other problem is I um, have some text set in italic and I can't go back to the <laughs> static italic because of the <laughs> optical sizing, because it looks very off when, right. it's, uh, when yeah. it's in there. Yeah. So I have another 250 kilobytes only for the italics. So that's a bit, yeah, that's a bit cumbersome. My readers will have to download that. I can live with it if they can download mm -hmm. one megabyte of uh, of an image or a YouTube video about me. They might also download some font files. Right. But of course, I want to make it as slick and small as mm -hmm. possible. Do you have any tips on that? Um, I do. There's there's a few um, where it's allowable using a subsetting tool of some kind. Um, mm -hmm. whether it's glyph hanger or font tools or, or something like that. Um, and again, it's just stressing if the license allows. So you have to yeah. remember it's a commercial, if it's a commercial typeface, if you don't have express permission from the, the foundry yeah. where you got yeah. it, yeah. you're altering a piece of software. So you, that's violating the license. Yeah. If you have permission, then yeah. subset can often cut the file size in half or more. Um, by removing the glyphs that you're not using. So, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, my site is in English language. So a Latin one extended character set is more than I need. Um, so that usually eliminates several hundred characters from many different typefaces that I'm just not going to end up needing. Um, and that will help reduce the file size. I also, um, uh, I use uh, Rule Niskin's site, What Can My Font Do? Or What yeah. Can My Font Do? Yeah, I love his site, yeah. Um, uh, using his tool uh, to figure out what are all the open type features there and am I going to use them all? Um, so if you don't have mm -hmm. any uh, reason to include small caps, if you, when you're subsetting, if you remove that or omit that, um, you're removing another chunk of characters that you don't need. Um, if you aren't doing a lot of superscripts and subscripts, then you can remove those. Um, so there's a lot of fine tuning that you can do that will help reduce the file size and, and get it smaller and smaller. And, um, and then uh, that's, that will lower the amount of font data. Um, but then as long as you are loading it with font display swap in your settings, using a font manager and styling the fallback fonts, then you're not going to negatively impact your core web vitals. So your site will mm -hmm. still load quickly mm -hmm. and you'll still be able to um, get all your content on screen. Uh, you'll have less layout shift because you're the, there'll be less reflow going on. So you can address all of those negative concerns around loading that font asynchronously. 
so that the page draws and then it redraws once it uh, gets the web font. And, and then you need to accept that that 100K, 200K, 300K, whatever it is of font data is cached. It's never going to get loaded again. It's good. Yeah. So it is. And, and so if you don't have any italics on the first page that they look at, then they're not loading the italic font then either. They're going to load that once they hit a page that actually has italics on it. And yeah. so you can stagger the load of those things as well. And, um, and with those, that combination of things, using the font loading management, um, making sure you're caching uh, the fonts properly, then you don't really have that big an issue. And the likelihood is on any site of any size, you're probably loading way more JavaScript than, than you are loading font data. And you're only loading that once. That's so, good, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, that's uh, same thing, you know, optimizing images and all that, like, yes, all of this stuff is really important, but the mileage that you get out of loading a font resource informs and, and impacts the display of every word on every page. So oh, I, I think yeah. the, the value that you get out of that download, I think is, is what's, what's key to focus on, but to get past engineering, you've got to be able to prove that you're not going to negatively impact web performance. So that's where you've got to load it properly. Um, I'm a big fan of font face observer from Bram Stein. Um, that's mm -hmm. the one that I use the most. Um, I've written about that and, and um, explained that in my newsletter as well. So that's, that's worth, you know, pointing people to resources like that. Um, because that makes a massive difference in, um, in uh, how, you know, addressing any of the negative concerns that an engineering team might put up to say, don't load this font data. No, yeah. We're going to load it. We're just going to load it right so yeah. that it doesn't negatively impact performance or user experience. And yeah. then we get to improve the design. Yeah, that's beautifully put, uh, especially the part where it has a lot of value for the overall experience of the site. You're downloading this only once, and if you do it right, uh, it's improved for the whole experience on this site and not just for this one mm -hmm. page load. So this is very well put. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. One more thing. Yeah, sure. Um, be because this problem is going to entirely go away with what we've been working on in the Web Font Working Group at the W3C. Yeah. And, and that has recently been published as uh, the, the first public working draft um, of progressive font downloading. And okay. that is something um, that uh, is going to completely sidestep the issue um, because it is uh, an evolution in font serving and format that will allow the font to be downloaded uh, dynamically subset by the browser and server together to only serve the characters that are needed to render the page that you're viewing. And then when you go to the next page, serve the next chunk of characters that you need to complete to view that page and so on until eventually you might download the whole font. You might never download the whole font. But oh, that's awesome. instead of being that 250K, it might be 57K to only serve the glyphs that you need for that page. So the, the size of the font file will not matter. Um, so our stuff is peanuts when you compare it to two and a half megs for an Arabic font or 15 megs for a, a, a Japanese or a Chinese or Korean font. That's normal and that's why you don't see web fonts used nearly as much without a commercial solution. 
Typekit and Monotype and others have long had a way to dynamically subset CJK fonts or Arabic fonts dynamically um, so that they can be used uh, in a performant way. We've been working on a way to generalize that. Um, and so the, the spec has been written. There are proofs of concept that have been created. Um, there's representation from um, WebKit, Firefox, uh, Chrome, Edge, uh, all the major browser vendors are part of that working group. And, um, and, and we've got participation from major foundries like Monotype as well. Um, so we'll see, we'll see that um, within the next year or two, I think is, is pretty safe to say um, that we'll actually start to see that working its way out into the world. Um, but that is going to be, uh, you know, that's the, the final, you know, kick the, the tent pole out of, you know, from under the objections for using web fonts. They'll yeah. are going to completely go away once that's available. Oh, this is so awesome. Would this require a different font format then? So it, I, I think that there are a couple of ways that it can be done. Um, generally, I think there is going to be, um, there, I, I'm, I've missed a couple of the most recent calls. So um, I, I'm not sure where we landed on all of this, but I think that there's going to be a change in how the font format is set up but it's a minor one, um, it's still going to be WAF2. It's just right. going to be um, a, a, an iteration of that. And then there's also basically like a server-side plugin. So like a module for Apache or Nginx or something like that that will handle the server-side piece of this. Okay, awesome. So thanks a lot, Jason. Wrapping up with my final fast round of questions. <laughs> Three fast questions. A quick intuitive answer to you. Free fonts or paid fonts? The right font has that. Um, awesome. I think there are, so you mentioned Jose. Um, I did a bunch of work with, um, with Jose and Veronica from Type Together, yeah. uh, creating demos for Literata and uh, yeah. a few of their other um, variable yeah. fonts and um, Literata is gorgeous. It's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, that happens to be open source. Um, but, you know, Proxima Vera is incredible from Mark Simonson. That's the variable version of Proxima Nova. I'd pay yeah. for that in a heartbeat. Yeah. Uh, perfect. Yeah. M dash or N dash? Well, I love a good M dash and I like the way that looks typographically, but uh, if you've got a date range, you're supposed to use an N dash. So it depends on usage. De definitely. And also on the circumstances in, in, in German typography and Austrian, and also in British, as I saw, as I saw you use instead of the, the M dash, you use an N dash with some spaces before and after. That's the, the, that's the nuanced stuff that I yeah. love about going to international type yeah. conferences. That's yeah. because I don't, I don't, I only know what looks like good typography to me from in my English yeah. language, yeah. US centric yeah. worldview. Yeah. Sure. Um, I've got some some books that I bought on Japanese and, and Chinese uh, typography. And I just I'm always fascinated to learn more about what what does good typography mean in other yeah. settings? Yeah. And it's always, that's fascinating. Yeah. Thanks for sharing yeah. that. Sure. It's always what you're used to basically. Like. And finally, Comic Sans or Papyrus? <laughs> 
I I think um, I can I can find more uh, acceptable circumstances to see Comic Sans than I can think of acceptable uses for papyrus. How's that? <laughs> Brilliant. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Jason. So where can people go to find out more about you and the stuff you're doing? Um, well, uh, so if, if you want to catch up on anything that I've written about web typography, if you go to rwt.io, um, that's where all of that stuff is collected under tips is, is all of the, the newsletter archives and a bunch of my talks and videos and stuff are there. Um, and, and if you want to see more pictures of Tilly, if you follow me on Instagram at jpomentel, J-P-A-M-E-N-T-A-L. Uh, same thing on pretty much all the social media, but Instagram is the best place for dog pics. So that's, <laughs> well, we can leave it at that. Or Strava if you're a cyclist. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so thanks a lot for joining. I had a great time. Hope you as well. And see you in the next. I did. <laughs> Cheers, Oliver. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. What a brilliant answer to my Comic Sans question, wasn't it? Just like it. Again, it took me quite some time to actually edit this, record this, do all the stuff. So I tend to put a lot of things on my plate, but I'm happy it's finally out. I'm very curious what you think about it. So I really appreciate your feedback, your suggestions for topics or guests. And you can send it to oliver at pimpmytype.com or via the comments on YouTube or in the blog on pimpmytype.com slash talk03. Remember to subscribe to the newsletter for your weekly Font Friday update and see you in the next one.